Okay, so we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 4, and uh, we'll finish, we'll do verses uh, uh, 10 through 21 and finish, or actually 23, I guess, and um, and finish this up. <clears throat> Let's uh, start with... Um, with a word of prayer, and then uh, we'll uh, we'll do the reading, and we'll read uh, as we'll go around the tables, as usual, and uh, we'll read just start in verse ten and go from there. Morning, Keith. <clears throat> All right, let's start with a word of prayer. Father, thanks again for the opportunity to um, to study your word. Thank you, Father, for the uh, uh, the information that you have uh, imparted to us as we've studied this book. And we pray now that you would help us to uh, be able to apply it one more time. Ask your Holy Spirit would speak to us as we study these last few verses of chapter 4. And we pray that uh, your blessing would be upon us as we seek to follow you and be obedient to your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Let's get started with Danny's table, Dan's table, Gary's table, Keith's table, and our table. We wanted to start out with the cleaning of the yoga. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we thought we'd I, I, you finally got it down <laughs> all right let's go with verse 10 <laughs> all right. I would go, rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me indeed you have been concerned but you had no opportunity to show I am not saying this because I am in need for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances I know what it is to be in need I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through Christ who has strengthened me. Who strengthens me? Then you have done well to share my distress. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, which I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. Even when I was in Thessalonia, you sent help more than once. Not that I desired a gift. What I desired was that love each other with pure love. I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied now that I have received. Greet all of the saints in Christ Jesus, the brothers who are uh, with me send greetings. All right, well, I once heard about a story about a, uh, a church that uh, uh, the gentlemen were looking at um, adding someone to the, the board of, of the church. And of course, they always discuss whether or not you're going to, uh, how well that person might fit in or not, and whether or not they meet the qualifications. 
And uh, one of the, uh, in this particular church, it was a deacon board, uh, was leading the church along with the pastor. And um, uh, one of the deacons says, the trouble with that guy is he's a thermometer and not a thermostat. And, uh, you know, uh, you got to imagine the pastor kind of go, huh? You know, what's the, the thermometer versus thermostat? And the guy explained the thermometer doesn't change anything around it. It just registers the temperature. It's always going up and down. But a thermostat regulates the surroundings and changes them when they, are, uh, when they need to be changed. And he says, Jim is a thermometer. He lacks the power to change things. Instead, they change him. And I think that's one of the things that we look at is in our lives is I thought, wow, how, how often does that happen that we allow things around us to make us respond to them versus us responding to them and changing them? And uh, I, I think as we look at the end of, of uh, this book, it's, it's, again, the idea of we need to make sure that, that we allow God to make us uh, thermostats so that we change things around us versus allowing circumstances to certainly change us. And, um, and you know, there's a, there's a difference between contentment and complacency. You ever notice that, you know, we're, if you read this passage, you might tend to think, well, maybe, I, you know, Paul is complacent. No, he's not complacent. He's uh, content. And there's a big difference between that. Uh, a complacent believer is unconcerned about others, while a contented Christian is a person who's willing to share his blessings. Contentment is not an escape from the battle, but rather an abiding peace and a confidence that happens in the midst of the, of the struggle. And I think that uh, when Paul says, uh, I've learned whatever state I'm in, they're in to be content. Uh, he's learned and he's content. And I think that, that what that points out is that learned in, implies or indicates that it is a, a learned experience. It's not something that you're necessarily born with. I have learned. In other words, when you first got saved, I don't think Paul was necessarily... <coughs> Content, uh, and I think that most of us, uh, contentment is something we learn as we go along. Uh, someone in our midst, whose name is Tom, says that as we get older, that um, uh, we learn to to be responsive, and it's easier for us to to be mature. Well, I think that's true about contentment as well. The longer we follow Christ, the 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 deeper we go into a, a understanding our spiritual life. Um, the, the more that we learn to be content in whatever circumstances we find ourselves in. Now, I'll tell you this, that's a struggle sometimes. Sometimes I want to beat my head against the wall. And usually it's because of people around me that are causing issues that just need to be deal dealt with, you know. But um, <clears throat> the other thing I would just mention is contentment is, uh, it means uh, contained in the Greek. It has the idea of being self-sufficient. And in fact, if you were one of the Stoics of that time frame, that would be something you would uh, talk about and discuss and attempt to achieve on a regular basis, to be self-content, self-sustaining, um, and self-sufficient. Yeah. yeah. To, to your point, mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So he's going through all this suffering and probably was all that 
race? Sure, yeah. And in the midst of running the race, he's going, I have learned to be content. I've, I've had a lot and I've had little. I think that, yeah, I think, I think it's a maturing thing. I, I, I've even noticed that uh, as I've gotten older, there are certain things that uh, I'm content with the way they are. I don't necessarily have to have whatever that is. Now, every once in a while, I will admit that, you know, my uh, old nature rears up its ugly head and says, no, you really need that. <laughs> but that's not the issue that, that we're talking about here. God says we need to learn to be content. So... <clears throat> In this, we're talking also about the idea of God's providence. And that's a, a word that probably isn't as popular as it once was, especially for those who are not in the Reformed camp. If you're in the Reformed camp, you, you talk about God's providence a lot. If you're not, you might not be real comfortable with the concept of God's providence. And by that, I simply mean this. Um, the, la the word providence comes from a Latin word meaning starting with pro, which means before, and uh, video, which means to see. So the idea is, uh, is that God sees. Now, the problem is that, that that's not it. That's not all that there is. Because if all we meant was that God foresees, God sees beforehand, that's not enough. It's, it's, it's not simply that God knows beforehand because providence involves a lot more than that. It involves the, the way that God works in advance to arrange circumstances and situations for the fulfillment of his purposes. That's what providence is. Which means that God has got a long view of things. You know, we talk about sometimes, you know, going having, having a long view. Uh, what is it, the Japanese, when they plan their business plans are sometimes like 100 years out? Man, I have a hard time planning for the whole week, let alone you know planning for uh, for a month or or ten months or a year or five years. We talk about people having a five-year plan or companies having a ten-year plan. Well, the Japanese have a hundred-year plan. God has a plan that that stretches from eternity to eternity. He's planned it all out and he's working things out so that it makes sense to him. Doesn't always make sense to us because we don't understand the plan. Think about this. Let's just look at one example. Remember Joseph? Remember his brothers didn't like him, didn't like the way that he acted. You know, he was a young snot, probably messed with their minds, probably got upset with him because he was dad's favorite. So what do they do? They throw him in, uh, they, they sell him into slavery, right? Then at the end of, uh, near the end of their lives, uh, they, there's a great famine in the land. They come to Egypt. Just so happens that, that uh, Joseph becomes like the number two guy in Egypt. He's like, you know, the uh, consigliere of, uh, of the Egyptian pharaoh. I don't know if you can do that, if you can have an Italian being a consigliere of an Egyptian, but it sounds good at least. Uh, yes, yeah, yeah, that's true. So, um, uh, so we have this situation where uh, they go and ask for food, and they are fearful once they realize who he is. And in, in Genesis chapter 45, verse 5, it says, God sent me to preserve your life. This is what Joseph says to his brothers. God sent me to, pre to preserve your life. 
But as for you, you thought it was evil, but God meant it for good, which means that God's playing the long game. He's putting the pieces in place that wouldn't have happened if he wasn't involved in the providence, a providence, of, providence of taking care of us and setting things up. Life is not a, a series of accidents. It's a series of appointments that God has already made for us. And when we start to think that way, it changes the way that we respond. Now, I don't know that I want to be too reformed in the sense that every time I fall down this set of steps, I go, man, I'm so glad I got that done and out of the way. I'm not sure I'm real happy with that concept of it, but there is, there's some truth to that. In, in, in Psalm uh, 32.8, it says that uh, I will, God says, I will guide you with mine eye. Uh, Abraham calls God Jehovah Jireh, which means what? Dan, you remember what it means? My provider. my provider. Good for you, Gary. Yeah, my provider. The Lord will see to it is the, the literal way that it comes out. Je Jehovah or Yahweh will see to it. He will take care. He's your provider. When he puts his, uh, when, when he sends his sheep out, he also goes with them. Yeah, he doesn't just send them out by themselves. I sent a meme to a couple of you. I don't know. I don't know who I sent. It. There's a there's a there's a, a a a gif out there of a of a sheep a, a, a sheep herd that is going across a road, and there's a shepherd. And the shepherd gets knocked down as the sheep run across the road. And then the ram turns around and slams into him again, going the opposite way, just to, 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 to let the shepherd know apparently who's in charge and the ram thinks he is. So it, it's kind of funny sometimes when we think about that, but God says, no, 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 this is important. You need to know this. Uh, I'm in charge, and I am going with you, and I will get, guide you with my hand. Uh, in verse 10, it says that uh, in, in, in the NIV translation, is, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Uh, it, in uh, the uh, King James, it talks about that, you are, uh, that your concern now flourishes again. It's the idea of a, of a flower or a tree that's budding or blossoming. We often go through winter seasons spiritually, but then spring arrives and with it comes new you know, a renewed life and a new blessing. And, and there's, uh, uh, the tree itself is not picked up and moved. The circumstances are not changed. The difference is that new life comes from within the tree. Sap comes up in the tree. Uh, and, and it starts, and when it does that, it starts to bloom. So that's, uh, boy, you know, there are times when we go through times of winter, and some of us, feel like winter will never end you know and all I can tell you is that God says that there are times when the seasons change and spring comes again and it's as though new life enters us again um, now the, the the thing in verse 11 it says uh, uh, I, I am not saying I'm he's, he's saying I'm not ha I'm not saying that I'm happy because I got the gift but I'm happy because I've learned to be content Whatever the circumstances, it's the idea is that he's learned the secret, uh, which is uh, it kind of smacks of the mystery religions of that time frame. They they know what the secret is. They know how to live in a particular way because they know the they know the the answers. And uh, 
again, the idea to be content is to be self-sufficient or self-relying. And so he says, I've learned to do that. Now, it doesn't mean that he's, um, it meant that he had come to grips with his circumstances and he fared well in and through them because of his relationship with Christ. It wasn't that he necessarily needed outside help, although outside help was appreciated. Sometimes we look at, you know, look at, at verse 12 here. It says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. And I've learned the secret of being content in any and every cir circumstances, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. In other words, he knows what it is to, to uh, have a lot. He knows what it is to have not, not a lot. And ultimately, he says, it's my relationship with God that matters. Now, let's take a look at 13 because I want to get there. So often we want to take this verse to mean that, hey, I'm, I, you know, me and God, we can do it, man. I can lift a mountain. I'm not sure that's what this verse necessarily means because remember, when you take a verse out of context, you can twist it to mean all kinds of things. What's it say within the context? What's he said just before? Yeah, he's content. He's saying that he, he can survive in whatever circumstances God puts him. Yeah, yeah, that's good. What else? Anything else we can pull out of that? Sometimes your the events is what needs to strengthen you at the time that things takes place or happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we, some people, some Christians have taken this to mean that there's nothing they can do, that they can't do, that they can do everything. Is that what it says here? Is that what Paul means? Go ahead, Gary. Uh, reminds me of another scripture where Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. Yeah, that's good. That's good. And, and, and we just, yeah, and we, we just kind of stand on the sideline and go, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> So what is this passage? What what is this passage discussing specifically? What's it What's it that Paul has been saying in the verses just previous to that? Right. Okay. And uh, what specific needs are is he talking about? Spiritual needs. Physical needs. So he's talking about physical needs and material needs, right? So. In the day-to-day -day economic fluctuations of our life, anybody look at the stock market yesterday? I was going really good through the first, the first couple of uh, hours up through about noon. I was going, I'm, I think I'm going to survive this pretty well. This is looking good. I looked at it after the close of the bell, and I'm going, oh, that hurts, you know? Now, fortunately, it's all on paper. It isn't like I've actually lost anything. Other than, you know, I, I think anytime there's a gain, it's all mine. Anytime I lose, it's you know, how can they do that? They've stolen from me, you know. But that's that's not, you know, I I, I have to learn to be content in the midst of all of that. Huh. Okay. So the rule of con uh, uh, the rule of context means that this has to apply to economic matters, specifically what Paul is referring to, I believe. The other thing is that Paul is expressing his 
Total dependence on who? God, Christ, yeah, yeah. He knew that the Lord led him and he knew that the Lord had the power and therefore that, that he would provide him the power to go through whatever circumstances he's in. Which really changed, by the way, anybody see, um, there? I, I don't know if it was uh, Christianity Today or who came out with it, but there's a new movie coming out. It's going to be out at the end of this week, I think, for a very short run in some theaters. It's called Tortured for Christ. Yeah. It's uh, Richard Warmbrand, uh, is his story. If you've not read his story, you ought to read it. They've apparently made a movie out of it. It's going to be also available as a DVD. Uh, I, I may be streaming, I don't know, but uh, it's uh, it's going to be a limited release around theaters around the country, I think, this coming weekend, I think. Um, Richard Warmbrand started, uh, what was the ministry he started? Yeah, he's from Romania. He was a pastor in Romania that, that spent uh, 10 or 20 years in, in jail for his faith. Um, you know, he... he and it was not e yeah, it was not easy. It, he, in fact, he took, in fact, he, at one point he was released and then took back to jail again. I mean, it was just a, it's one of the worst areas that, uh, and he documents everything he went through. But he was a pastor in Romania, became a, um, uh, a prisoner. <coughs> the result was that uh, he, he, one of his goals was to lead the soldiers to Christ while he was there. Um, and he did. He led a number of the soldiers to Christ. His jailers, yeah, just like Paul. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's an interesting story. I read a quote once of him where he said, uh, when he was in jail, that the, the guards forbade them to preach the gospel uh, under the punishment of being beaten, you know. Yeah. But we preached the gospel, and they beat us, and everybody was happy, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds a little, uh, yeah, okay, yeah. This, uh, there, there, if, you, if you get a chance to read the book, it is, it is amazing what they went through. There's a, a group called the Voice of the Martyrs. That's, that's it. That's, their, that's the group that he started. Yeah, that, that's so what, yeah. uh, not, not a bad one, but graphical, because it goes on to this day, I'm pretty sure. So, you know, learning to be content in the midst of, of pain and punishment uh, because of our faith is is an amazing thing. Learning to not hate your your captors or the people that are punishing you or the people that are that are torturing you, but learning to love them and wanting to see them come to Christ is an amazing feat. And it doesn't happen in our own strength. Just to let you know that it doesn't. Yeah. You just read these verses that I sent you that talk about contentment. Shipwrecked and yeah, yeah. Well, we certainly have it a lot easier than a lot of our fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord, even around the country, around the world, I should say. It's kind of interesting that that in order to um, in, in order to to have God's strength, sometimes we need to have our we we need to be weak because when we're weak, He's strong. Um, 
and it's kind of a paradox. Uh, he was strong. We're, he's strong in the midst of his weakness, Paul. He was also independent, self-sufficient, only when he was dependent upon God. That's a paradox. How do you become self-sufficient, independent, when you're dependent? And yet, that it, it goes hand in hand. You can't be self-sufficient on your own without depending upon God to have that happen. It may be more, and one of the things I would say this, I think it's sometimes it's harder to be triumphant in our Christian walk in the good times. It's easier sometimes to be triumphant in our Christian walk in the hard times. Because everything is stripped away, and the only thing you have to hang on to is the Lord. It's the only person and only thing that you can depend upon. And, and we become uh, conscious of our dependency on the Lord, on, on prayer. Uh, and it, it's easier to understand that when we're in the midst of hard times. Now, I think one of the marks of maturity in Christ is the fact that you learn to uh, depend on the Lord in every circumstances, whether it's good or bad. And how, how are you doing during the good times? You know, how dependent are you on God? Or it's like, I got this, God. I'll see you when I need you. Is, is that your attitude? Because that's, that, that's a problem if it is. All right, so he talks about, uh, the, 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 by the way, this, uh, this understanding that Paul's abundance or the fact that he's learned to live regard, when he has a lot and when he has a little, um, the idea of um, being, uh, th this reminds me of, of the artists, you know, often an artist is most creative when they're when they're poor than <laughs> when they start to make money. It seems that that changes their their life. And I think that the best of the philosophers, uh, like the Stoic and Cynics, uh, learn to live in uh, that they can live in any situation. In fact, it reminds me a lot of the of a Stoic or a Cynic. A Stoic is someone who uh, holds. That, cult that by cultivating an understanding of the logos or, or the, the natural law, uh, one can be freed of suffering. A person who's indifferent to pleasure or pain, that's a stoic. Now a cynic uh, is a person who believes that all people are motivated by selfishness and a person whose outlook is scornfully ne ne negative. Um, I, I, I think Danny was talking about this on Sunday, and I have to admit that there are times when I look at things a bit with a jaundiced eye, and uh, I, I tend to be a bit of a cynic, uh, if you haven't noticed already. It's one of my, one of my undiscovered or un, un, uh, un uh, uh, what's the word I want? Un, uh, it's a gift. Yeah, it's a, it is a, yeah, I think it is. I think it's there someplace. So God, you know, that's what philosophers often do. That They learn that they, they talk about being self-sufficient, at least the Stoics and the Cynics of, of that time, as compared to the uh, Aristotelians who, who did not believe that. Uh, they were ones who uh, believed that, uh, uh, that uh, optimistic uh, position concerning uh, the nature's aims uh, and, uh, you know, cynics are not that way at all. So unlike these uh, philosophers who depended only on themselves, 
Paul became self-sufficient only by the virtue of Christ who works in him and through him. So that's what we're talking about. All right, so let's let's flee from there as quickly as we can. All okay. So um, I was uh, doing some little study, and I was kind of interesting. Uh, Hudson Taylor, uh, who is a um, um, was a missionary, and if I remember correctly, he was a, wasn't he the missionary to uh, Burma? I think he was Burma. So he, uh, although I think he also might have been in China as well, but anyhow, uh, for many years, uh, Hudson Taylor worked hard and felt that he was trusting Christ to meet his needs, but somehow he had no joy or liberty in his ministry. There have been times I've wondered about that myself. Um, and then a letter from a friend opened his eyes to the adequacy of Christ. This is the quote from, the, uh, from uh, Taylor. He says, it's not by trusting in my own faithfulness, but by looking away to the faithful one that I found contentment and I found peace. Think about that. So often we want to think about, oh, I've been so faithful. You know, I'm, 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 doing, the, I'm doing the work, I'm struggling, I'm doing the job, but it isn't that it's us doing it, it's Christ doing it through us. Remember the story in, in, in John 15? It talks about the vine and the branches. How do we gather strength as the branches connected to the vine? How do we do that? Stay connected. Stay connected to the vine. <laughs> yeah. Which means, yeah. But, but think about that. The, the way that we gather strength is by staying connected to Christ, to the one who's the faithful one. And, and, um, uh, I don't know, Gary. Did you did you say this earlier? Where he says, uh, "Without me, you can do nothing." Yeah, yeah John fifteen, which is right out of that passage. Without me, you can do nothing. I am self-sufficient because of Christ's sufficiency. By the way, that was a quote from the Amplified Bible. <laughs> All right. So, yeah. Yeah. Look at look at what Christ did and how we we're told that we should do this. You, the idea is that we need to in verse. Uh, so it, he says in verse fourteen, it says, "It's good for you." Um, in the midst of everything, he says, "Even though I can do everything through Him that strengthens me, yet it's good for you to share in my troubles." Why is it good? Why is it good that they shared in his troubles? One of the questions I would have, why, why was it good? Misery loves company. Misery loves company. Okay, well, that's a possibility, sure. What else? Part of the maturation process. Part of the maturation process. Okay, that's good. What else? I'm sorry? You know what he feels. Okay, yeah. So there's a, uh, there's a, a, a fellowship here. Uh, that is a deep partnership of two of you going in the same direction, of understanding and, and sharing one another's burden. Remember what it says in, in the Old Testament? It says that uh, a single cord is easily broken, but when you have two or three wound together, it's harder to break them. The, the more people that share your, your, your burden, 
these are just, I, I, I just had a, one, of the fam, one of the young families that I married years ago. It's probably been, it was 2009, so they're, they're in their 10th year. I, I married them in 2009. Uh, the wife has come down with a horrible situation. They're not, still not sure what's going on, but she's having full body uh, um, seizures. Uh, she's not epileptic. They've gone through a ton of tests. They've decided it's whatever they named it is really bizarre. It's like, okay, it, it's just going to happen, basically. And they're hoping that over a period of months that maybe it'll get better. But she's to the point where she can't work. She was a head nurse at a, uh, a nursing home. She was uh, the uh, uh, caregiver. She's got three kids. Uh, one of them is a special needs child. And... Um, her husband works full time. She can't. She can't drive. She can't take care of the kids because she doesn't know when she's going to go into a seizure. She needs help constantly. It just came out. Uh, they set up a. Her sister-in-law set up a GoFundMe page. I sent money. Why? Well, I I feel for them. I know them. I, I want to share in her burden. Uh, you know, it's easy to go. Oh man, that's really bad. I'll pray for them and say a quick prayer and forget about it. It's a whole other thing when you. Decide, decide you're gonna put some skin in the game, you know? Because you know, man, they're they're hurting. They got a lot of bills. They aren't necessarily gonna be paid because of the situation with her health care, and she's not being able to work now. Granted, her husband has a job, and I'm not sure that he has the same kind of health care that she had. So they're gonna be uh, they're gonna be hurting. So anyhow, uh, I, I point out to you that it's it's you know, did I did I need to do it? Well, yeah, I think so. I think it, it, it was a burden on my heart. God led, I said to my wife, so I'm going to send them some money. My wife goes, yeah? I go, yeah, I'm going to send them some money because I think they need it. They need help. And uh, I want to be a part of that that process of helping them. So um, that's what God wants us to do is to bear one another's burdens. The, the, now, was it necessary um, for Paul? Did Paul need to... Uh, did he depend upon their gifts? I think he, he appreciated them. So he learned to be content regardless of the situation. But why was it good that they gave a gift? Because it showed that they were living. We talked about this Sunday on, at church. Danny did from the platform. We live open-handedly, which is really helpful. You live open-handedly. God uses that. To bless others, but often the result of that is that we're blessed in the giving, right? Which is really hard when you're young to do that. You know, you don't understand how good it is to, to give. And we, and we talk, we, that's what we've talked about that in the past. Anyhow, so their gift was good because it demonstrated they understood God's working in the world and they were willing to support God's work through God's servants. That's important. So it goes on to say that that uh, it was that only the Macedonian churches were supporting him, and then not so much. It was pre primarily Philippi. Perhaps the greatest difficulty was that the other churches failed to to continue to help him. In this, Philippi was different; that they were not only receiving what they were giving. In other words, g giving and receiving is supposed to be a two-way street. And so often it, it becomes a one-way street. We take and we rarely give back. That's true in all kinds of relationships, isn't it? Married relationship, 
if you're a taker and not a giver, if all you ever do is take and you never give, that, that's not going to go over well in your relationship. And it doesn't in many relationships like that. So uh, it's interesting how he, he attempts to point out the importance of this, but do it in such a way that he's not complaining. Hey, you know, when was the last time you sent me something? It's been a while. You know, it's really good if you do. <laughs> that's right. That's right. But as as we are as we receive, God expects us to to give. You know, we were talking. They were talking about if all you ever do is receive and you never give out, it's a lot like the difference between the River Jordan and the Dead Sea. The River Jordan, if you've ever been there, is beautiful. It's, at parts of it, it's really pristine. Other parts, as you get closer to the Dead Sea, it gets really muddy real quick. And uh, by the time you get to the Dead Sea, it it there's an odor, and nothing can live in the Dead Sea. It's saltier than the ocean, you know. Uh, and the reason for that is because there's all water is coming in, and nothing is going out unless it evaporates. So he's talking about it's important, and and nothing can live in the Dead Sea. So if you want to have a living relationship with God, you need to be willing to give as well as to receive. And so often in our lives, myself included, from time to time, I'll admit there are times it's hard to give. It's hard when you look and you go, you know, I don't know that I have enough money to give for whatever this project is, even though God has laid it on my heart. You know, and I, I, I want to talk about, yeah, we're running out of time here quickly. I want to talk about... Um, about this, uh, about the need to um, uh, to give, because I think that there's a we can get caught up in the fact that if we give, we're going to get, and there is a sense to which there's a certain amount of truth to that. But if you give only to get, you miss the blessing. Correct. But I have, but I have found in my own experience that when I've given, willfully, willingly given, and not begrudgingly, I say, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I want to do this because I want to help somebody. That God often returns way more than what I ever, what I gave. Now sometimes it's financially, sometimes it's not, sometimes it's in other ways. But I find it interesting that God wants to develop within us, and I think Paul is attempting to develop within these people here an idea of a theology of stewardship or a theology of giving. And he talks about the fact that he says that what you did in, in verse 18 is he says that it was a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. This is something that is important for us to dwell on and to understand and not to miss out on what God wants for us because he talks about the fact that we need to be willing to give spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God. This is 1 Peter 2. 1 Peter 2, 
verses, uh, verse uh, 5, it says that we are a, uh, a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I've told you the story in my life when I was sitting reading one day and suddenly I, I, ran, I was reading this particular passage and I thought to myself, what in the world is an acceptable sacrifice? What, what are these spiritual sacrifices that I'm supposed to be giving? And it started me on a journey of trying to understand what they are. And this, by the way, Philippians, here is one of them. He says, Paul is using Old Testament terminology. It's a fragrant offering. You know what burnt offerings smelt like? Smell like barbecue. Yeah. <laughs> Smell like barbecue, man. And you know what? You know what? One of the smells were one of the things that was that, that was on the altar that really brought out that aroma. It was when fat was burning. You ever seen? You know, you have a steak and you have a little bit of fat on the, and that fat just oh man, that aroma is just amazing. You know, and God says it's a fragrant offering. It's a it's something that. You know, I hate to say this, but it makes my mouth water. You know, barbecue, how good is that? And so he's saying that your giving is a, is a, a spiritual sacrifice. Go away, Siri. And uh, we need to realize that we give even when we don't have. We need to give when God lays it on our heart. Remember the, the woman who had two mites, the widow? And she, she gives it to the, the treasury at the temple, and God says, she gave out of her poverty, and, he, and, and she's going to be blessed. And she says, ah, those other people that are giving so much, yeah, they, they, it's not hurting them at all. It hurts her. Sometimes giving is some of those things that's important to understand. Spiritual sacrifices, I remember the, 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 the overarching spiritual sacrifice we give is Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable act of worship. Huh, it's not even unreasonable. How about that? Uh, Hebrews, uh, Hebrews 13 talks about uh, uh, the sacrifice of um, uh, uh, the fruit of our lips and to do good and to, uh, and to, to uh, share, to, to have koinonia. Is, or is, is considered a, a acceptable sacrifice as far as God's concerned. There are others that, that talk about that. And I think the thing is that we are privileged to give to God. And out of that comes the other side of that. And I want to just take just a second to hand these out. I, I want to, a number of years ago, years and years ago, I made some decisions about how I would try to operate when I was in ministry in the ministry mode and uh, I've tried to do that even among you guys here there are other ways of doing ministry and and looking for money and it's you know every one of us has to stand before God and answer for our decisions good or bad and uh, so I've you know over the years I've made some conscious decisions about how I want to when I when I'm looking for funds to do a ministry and um, I thought, you know, it would be, it'd be nice if those were co codified in somewhere that you could see it. And this is going up on my website. It might already be, I don't remember if I put it up or not, but I did develop a, a list of things that I wanted you to, to understand. And it, I call it uh, AFM's uh, um, Theology of Giving. So with that being said, uh, you can take and use this for whatever you decide you want to do with it, like, you know, burn it. 
I believe that this, for me, is uh, is the way of doing that. Not on giving. Oh no, it's on giving. It's just different kind of giving. Yeah. No, it's it's gonna be good. It's gonna be good. But is it on meaning coincidence? Oh, I think it's a God thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's what we call the providence like, of God. When you started talking about it, did you not you knew you were gonna be dependent on blood, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd already I'd already planned when it, when we yeah. So I'm saying I'm trying to so you didn't say, Oh my gosh. No, I wasn't surprised. God has a way of you know, I've tried to learn not to be surprised at God. Every once in a while, he does surprise me. Actually, more often than not, he does surprise me. But uh, this was one of those things that I had developed and shared with my board uh, on, uh, on AFM um, to, uh, to give them a chance to say, you know, what do you think? And they're going, yeah, this is pretty good. We like this. And you'll know that I don't, I don't beat a drum uh, when, I, when I say that, you know, I'll, I'll present a need, ask you to pray about it, and then let you decide what God wants you to do. I don't. You know, it isn't up to me to tell you what to do with the resources God's given you. Now, I, sometimes I wish it was because I'd tell some of you what to do, but uh, that's not my plan, and that's not God's plan. God's plan is for you to simply follow his leading. So however that works out, that's the way we've chosen to do things in our ministry. Uh, there are other ministries that don't do that, and that's okay. It's up to them to, to answer to God, and they've got their own philosophy, and that's great. This is the one that I have that I'm comfortable living by. This is the one that God's given me. Tom, you were going to say something. I see it. Well, you see, I, I'm, you know, the confused one about Sunday. I went over to Clinton on Sunday uh -huh. and saw the new pastor over there. We planted it. We haven't been over there. I encourage you to check him out. Uh, Greg, he's very, very, very good. And, uh, but that morning, No kidding. That's wild. Then we go and we have the service. It's like, oh my gosh. I mean, is that special? Uh, it's just for you. I mean, nobody else got it. Yeah, no one else got it. <laughs> Again, I would call that the providence of God. How Remember how we talk about he's setting things up in a way that, you know, for us, we're, we're thinking it's a coincidence. It's, you know, it's that, the, yeah, it's the Holy Spirit. It's, you know, some people call it the wink of God. Yeah. You know? God winks, and, and um, it's that concept that God wants. He says, no, 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 it's important we understand that, it, that God wants us to do things, and God sets it up so that we learn from this. It's, it's amazing. I'm really, you know, the other thing that happens is when you give, you, get a, you give God a chance to provide for you as well because you're trusting him when you give. You're trusting him that he will take care of you. Uh, and, and there are times when you're going to go, really, am I going to be able to do that? Is that going to happen? Yeah, God will take care of us. Now, God's timing and our timing rarely seem to intersect at the same time. Just saying. He's, and and in, with this, Paul says, 
I can't pay you back for what you've given me, but I'm trusting God that God will do that, will pay you back. Uh, Deuteronomy 15.10 says, Give generously to him and do so without a grudging heart. <laughs> then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. We're to do it generously. Um, there was a there used to be churches that talked about uh, giving hilariously. And they would take an offering and they wanted people to laugh as they were giving an offering. Can you imagine? I'm sorry, we're going to have to pass the offering place again. You weren't happy enough in giving. You know? <laughs> Let's do this again. Let's give you another chance. Dig a little deeper, folks, and smile when you give. You know, uh, In Proverbs 19:17, it says, He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward him for what he has done. Uh, we're talking about genuine needs here. We're not talking about wants. We're talking about needs. And, uh, and then God, uh, and I think it's important we realize that. Uh, I'm going to, man, I'm going to run out of time here. I want to make sure we get a little more of this. So in verse 20, Paul closes with the doxology. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Then he talks about all the greeting he's going to give. I find it interesting he talks about the household of the Caesars. I got five minutes, so good. All right. So the household of the Caesars, we're talking about civil service here. Could be the Praetorian Guard, could be bigger than that. But regardless of that, apparently there are a lot of people that are coming to know the Lord that live in Caesar's household. That's amazing. That's amazing. Um, all right, so I want to get to uh, a couple of applications here. Okay. Today, Christians view money in one of two ways. One of those ways is they view it as a blessing to which Christians are entitled. We're entitled to, to be blessed by having lots of money. Sometimes it's considered almost like prosperity gospel. Um, we, we believe that, uh, uh, we look at verses like Deuteronomy 28, 18. The fruit of your womb will be cursed and the crops of your land the calves, your herds, and your lambs, and your flocks. It talks about the fact that often the curse of the law when you disobey is poverty. So obedience means the opposite is what some people think. So because Christ has redeemed us from the curse of, of the law, then we should not be subject to poverty. And they quote a lot of verses. Uh, and there are verses like, and, and they're, tr they're, they're good, they're true. Uh, given it will be given to you, Luke 6, uh, 38. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Second uh, Corinthians 9, 6 says, Remember this, that if you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. But whoever sows generously will reap generously. So these are all true. They're true, but we try to make a law out of this that says, you know, if I do this, I'm going to get back. And so you start to think about, okay, I'm going to give and I'm going to be able to count the amount of blessings I'm going to get back. That's not the way it works. Sometimes if you're a farmer and you plant and you don't have good weather, what happens, John? You don't get a good yield. Yeah. Or sometimes if you get 
too much rain, it, it doesn't work. And if you don't get enough, it doesn't work. So sometimes it's true while I'm, in general that's true. It doesn't mean it will happen every time you do that. There are no success formulas in the Word of God. I know there's a preacher out there that says that. Success formulas in the Word of God produces results when used direct, uh, use as directed. Really? That always work? Hasn't always for me. But I've always felt that God's always taken care of me. Now, more Christians, uh, more often Christians view wealth simply as something that's n neutral. It can be used for good or evil purposes. And the, and the Christian's response is to use wealth for good purposes. To be like the, the two servants in the parables of the talents, remember? They put it to use, got more, gave it back to, to the Lord, and uh, he rewards them. Uh, wealth can be a, certainly a powerful tool. And if I was going to praise uh, or, or paraphrase uh, John Wesley, I'd say, uh, make all they can, save all they can, and give all they can. That's a good idea. That's a good idea, and I think there's some truth to that. Um, we're told to, to ask the Lord to give to us our daily bread. And we're told that if we don't, if, if God gives us more, sometimes, here, here's the prayer. This is, I found this prayer a number of years ago. It's out of Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9. Listen to this. And I, I think this is the prayer I want to pray on a regular basis. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and therefore dishonor the name of the Lord. Give me just enough. If I can learn to be content with just enough, with just my needs, I think God will be pleased. All right, so I got to skip a whole bunch of things. I want to get to the second deception of, of money. And that is, uh, the second deception is more destructive because it leads us to think that God's grace is for sale and we have to earn it. it it's, it's almost like, you know, God helps those who help themselves. Um, one radio preacher said this, there are certain rules governing prosperity revealed in God's word. Faith causes them to function. They will stop when they are, uh, they will work when they are put to work and they will stop working when the force of faith is stopped. And I think that's a great idea, except that I don't think it's true. It, you know, because the problem is you're trying to manipulate God. There's a formula. And if you put the right change into the, into the vending machine and push the right combination of numbers, you get exactly what you want out of it. It doesn't work that way. God, God is not a magic genie that you rub the, you know, rub the lamp and you get what you get three wishes. It doesn't work that way. So one view is that our hard work forces God's hand, and so therefore He has to do it. How does that work? No. The other one is a mantra-like invocation of biblical words, taken way out of context and laden with all sorts of materialistic meanings that set in motion this divine law as, an imp as impersonal as the law of gravity. And that's wrong too. It isn't the law of gravity. There is no divine commands in there that's going to, just like the law of gravity, you do this and this happens. You give and God's going to get, well, yeah, God will bless you, but not maybe the way you want. I just speak from personal experience. 
So I think that as we go through this, let's remember this. God wants us to realize that we give as God has given us because he will bless us as a result of that. But that blessing is not, is not the reason to give. We give because we love God. We give because we feel called to do so. We give because he's given to us. And if I, if I could just remember to do that on a regular basis, I loved, the, I loved when Steve Norman was here and he, had, he talked about the fact that if he had a Kit Kat bar, you know, and he handed it out to you and he, said, and he gave it to his kid and he said, hey, could I have one of those pieces? Well, they come in four, you know, the large bars. Well, you're just asking, hey, sure. You know, if you gave it to me, why wouldn't I give, let you have a taste? It's pretty selfish. You go, no, it's, you gave it to me, it's mine. Without yeah, Rick, yeah, yeah, Indian giver. You know, you ever said that to God? At least, not maybe out loud, but thought it. All right. So here's our uh, here's at the end of the day. Here's putting Philippians to work. Surrender your mind to the Lord at the beginning of each day. Number two, let the Holy Spirit renew your mind through the Word. Number three. As you pray, ask God to give you the day, that day a single mind, a submissive mind, a spiritual mind, a secure mind, so that you will do what you need to do. During the day, mind your mind. In other words, make sure that you're dwelling on things of Christ and things of the, of the Word. Number five, guard the gates of your mind. Whatever things are true and honest and pure and lovely and good report, think on these things. Guard the gates of your mind. And then lastly, Remember that your joy is not meant to be a selfish thing. It is God's way of glorifying Christ and helping others through you. Remember this, joy, if it was an acronym, would be Jesus first, others second, and yourself last. And you get joy out of that. All right, let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for the opportunity to study your word. Thank you for the way your word encourages us and challenges us. Boy, does it challenge us sometimes. It seems like Money is one of the hardest things that we have to conquer. Uh, we feel as though you've given to us and therefore it's ours. And yet um, we fail at times to remember that you're the one that graciously gave it to us. So help us to be good stewards of what you've given to us. Help us to use it wisely and to advance your cause and to help those that are in need around us as you lay it on our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.